Hey, good morning. So I hope you've had a, a good week. Um, I'm really glad to see you here this morning, that you've just carved out some of your time. So whether um, you're here or whether you're online, um, I'm just, I really am glad you've decided to join us. We're in a series at the moment called Faith Works. And if you don't know who I am, I am Pete. And I'm lucky enough to be a small group leader as well as part of the preaching team. But before we look at the, the Bible today, I wanted to share something with you. So for you regulars here, I want to ask you a question. Um, and just shout out your answer. What is my favorite food? Dal. Wow, brilliant. Dal. Absolutely, dal is my favorite food. Now, maybe you've been able to, as you come in, smell a kind of, ooh, what's that nice kind of smell? Well, I thought, because it's a lovely day and etc., that I would have some dal for each and every one of you. Have you come in? And so we've got little tubs of dal for everyone who is here. So if you're at home, hey, unlucky, get yourself to church. So, it, it, we... Um, I would say we cooked it. Olivia cooked it yesterday. It took about over six and a half hours to cook. It has, uh, it's, it's vegetarian friendly, but it has got butter in it. It is not spicy. It's not spicy at all. Trust, those who know my food, uh, trust me, Sally, it's not spicy. It is very creamy and buttery. It is delicious. Um, so there's some dal. So just as you go, and we have a little break now before I come back up, just tell the person next to you, what is your favorite food? Oh, we've got a fan down here, good. Talk to the person next to you, just tell them what your favorite food is, and the recipes cost 10 pounds at the end. This is my favorite dal. Did you get some, Paul? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, really good. So it's, it's a very creamy dal, and the cream comes... You're not really interested, are you? But the cream comes not from the cream or the butter, but it comes from the lentils themselves breaking down because they've been in the pot for about six hours. So um, Olivia cooked it yesterday for us. Um, so thank you, Olivia. I just... More. No, there is more. There is more out the back. So... Um, you know, it's... I go on about things I like a lot, about my favorite dal, my favorite whatever it is, and it's quite nice when we, we talk about our favorite things, isn't it? It's always quite a good thing to do, <clears throat> talking about our, I shouldn't have had dal myself, <laughs> talking about our favorite music or our favorite coffee shop, things like that. But I want us just to think and maybe take a little bit risk and imagine we started talking about our favorite people. Imagine you're in um, the checkout queue. It's a long queue because everyone is panic buying iron brew because that is going to be the next crisis. Um, they're running out of iron brew and the world is about to end. And wow. Um, so we're in a queue and there's a dad in front and he's got his four kids there. And I look at him and I tap him on the shoulder and I say, dude, which one of your kids is your favorite? Could you imagine all four of the kids' faces looking up at their dad going, me, 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 me. Imagine that. Or how about this one? What's your favorite ethnic group? 
slightly awkward, isn't it now? We've kind of moved from Dal to child to, oh dear, where is he going here? And this kind of awkwardness we feel when I ask that kind of question is, I want us to kind of hold on to that awkwardness. Because that's exactly what the people are doing in the chapter we're looking at. Because we have believers in Jesus who desire to follow Jesus' way, who love him, they are now playing favorites. And it's not with things, it's with people. Our teaching is found in the little letter that's found in the New Testament part of your Bible. And the Bible is divided into two sections, and we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I need my glasses, that's why I'm thinking, why is everything blurry? Um, And the part we're looking at is tucked in towards the end of the New Testament, and it's a little letter by the guy, by, by James. And if you look at the map here as well, that's on your screen, hopefully. James, he writes this letter 30 years after Jesus is on the scene. And James has become pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which is the green dot at the bottom. But persecution has uh, broken out. And people have scattered. The followers of Jesus have scattered. And they've gone as far north as Antioch there. And others have gone to the island of Cyprus. And so his congregation has been scattered. And James, though, he stays in Jerusalem. And in his desire to be a good pastor to his congregation, wherever they may be found, he writes this letter. And I believe this letter would have been copied out by others and then passed on so they would all have a copy of this letter. So they could all hear what James has to say to them. And in the passage we're looking at, James tells them, stop playing favorites. Look how he starts this section. It's chapter two. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. There's kind of no soft introduction, no soft sensitive touch. It's just boom. Stop playing the favorite game. You cannot show special attention or special favors to some people and not others. So, who are their favorites? Well, if you continue reading in James's letter, he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. So we've got the one who looks good and the one who doesn't look good. And James, he starts off with this word, suppose. And so he's just imagining a scenario. He could have easily used an example like, suppose somebody comes in who looks well-educated, and then somebody who comes in who doesn't have a formal education. He could have gone for an ethnic background. Suppose a a Jewish person comes in, or somebody from a non-Jewish background comes in. But he decides for his case study to use an economic background, an economic difference. And so to help me kind of For you to grasp this illustration, I've got two volunteers who are going to help me. So Faith and Tech are going to come and help me. So if we could come over here just a little bit. I'll come down. So thank you very much, Faith. You keep your mask on. You can keep your mask on. It looks lovely. And Tech. And Claire, could you put the little chairs up for me? So doesn't Faith, I mean, always look fantastic? I mean, even, I, I mean, always. No, we'll put them just here. Just here. Okay. I mean, 
her shoes, she's got little kind of heel pumps on, they look amazing, and if I get close, like, she smells amazing. I mean, she looks fantastic. I could imagine her being just called, oh, that's fantastic faith, fantastic faith. Um, so I've got a, a seat for you here. I thought you deserved an extra special seat. So if you can sit here, and, um, and it's quite cold. I saw you with your, your coat on, and so I brought you a little, bl- ah, yeah, you got your shoe feet up, and I thought you could have a little blanket. Okay, and sorry it doesn't match, but it's warm. It's warm, there you go. And, and because I like, I, I brought you something else, and because I can go on a little bit, I thought I'd bring you a little gin and tonic. And so, here we go. And I was going to bring myself one, then I thought, no, because then I'll never shut up. So, it's a, a lovely pink gin. Okay, I'll give you some tonic, or would you rather just have it neat? Okay, so um, some, some nice tonic from a bottle. Yeah. Look at that, yeah, I've done that before. Okay. Oh, this is nice. Did you want any more dal or are you all right? You're good, you're all right, okay. There you go, enjoy, you look fantastic, Faith. I don't know where I put my bits of paper, here. Awesome. And then we come to <laughs> tech. Tech, tech, tech. Um, you look, yeah, you've got a whole And, uh, well, it's not really when you see it from the back. Uh, that's not grey, that's shampoo, he's not washed out. Maybe not even shampoo. He looks like he's had these trousers on since he was in primary school, these shorts, doesn't he? They were trousers, yeah. So tech, um, there is a chair there, but I think... I might move that one just a bit, and I've got this thing here that kind of means you can sit on the floor, and um, yeah, you can sit on the floor, Tech, because you're a bit dirty to sit on the nice chair. There you go. You sit there, Tech? And uh, I've got more gin, but I think I've got something else here for you. I started a, a start. <laughs> I started a Coke earlier. I didn't really like it, so it's a little bit flat. Um, it's called the dregs. It's that last 10%, which you know is just a little bit backwash, really. So, um, so, so, you're all right there? Thanks, Tech. Good. Um, Faith, uh, no, he's not allowed to blanket. Uh, no, um, is he too close? Because he smells a little bit. Would you like him to move a little? He's all right. So if you guys just stay there, that's awesome. Um, so we have um, fantastic faith, and then we have tatty tech, tarnished tech was the way I was going. I was going for tarnished tech. And, you know, I, I'm actually glad, Faith, you're here. It's lovely to see you. Um, and I bet you've never been as close and comfy in a sermon before. And I'm glad uh, it's me that's preaching. I know you are as well, because I know I'm your favorite. So, uh, <laughs> oops, again, look at that. Awkward, isn't it, when we're playing favorites with people? It does become awkward. And this is the first kind of side that James is wanting to get at, is this idea of playing favorites based on what is on the outside. You see, that is what... James is writing to the people about, because they're playing favorites based on appearance. 
Fantastic faith. She looks awesome. Shoes are amazing. Everything is great. She looks as though her family or herself, she's got power and influence and wealth. and So she gets a good seat in the meeting. And tarnished tatty tech... Um, he doesn't really look like he's got anything to offer, so he doesn't get any special favors or anything. And the people in, that James is writing to, they're basing their treatment of people in the congregation based on what they see on the outside. And this is what James has to say. He says, if you show special attention to the man or woman wearing fine clothes, people like fantastic faith, and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, tarnished tatty tech, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says, if you base who you're going to give special attention to, if you base who appears to have it all together, who's right by what you see on the outside, he's saying that's bad thinking. That is evil thoughts. And this is what's going on. Now, why did they favor the rich? Was it because we all kind of veer towards people who like fantastic faith, who might be able to, we might be able to get something from? Sort of, if I look after faith, she'll look after me, that sort of idea. Actually, what is going on here is something that's deeply rooted in traditional Jewish teaching of the day. And to get a glimpse of this type of thinking, we need to leave James a pastor for a moment and go back 30 years to when Jesus is with some of his disciples. And there's this one time, and they're walking around, they're in Jerusalem, and they're near the temple, which is the building which is, I think there's a picture, John, of the temple there. And they're at the, the temple, and they come across a blind man. And listen into how the conversation begins about this blind man. It says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And we've got this blind man, and they're like, okay, Jesus, who is it? Who's at fault here? Who is the person that sinned? Is it this man himself? Maybe when he was an infant, he did something. He sinned, and so that's why he's always had this blindness. Or, or maybe somehow their thoughts went that while he was still in his mother's womb, he did something wrong. And that's why God has caused them to be blind. Or they used to think maybe it was his parents. They have some deep, dark, secret sin in their past. And that's why they were given this baby born blind. So do you hear the assumption that this man is disabled, so clearly he is sinful? For they believed if you were disabled, if you were sick, if you were diseased, if you were poor, it was because you didn't have God's blessing in your life. And if you didn't have God's blessing, it's because you're sinful. And they looked at these people and they saw fantastic faith. She looks great. Therefore, she's blessed. Tech, 
He's obviously sinful somewhere in his past. So this brings us to the second side of playing favorites, the inside. Remember the traditional belief is that fantastic faith is awesome because of her outside appearance. And therefore they assumed she was awesome on the inside, that she was fantastic on the inside as well. And because tech is tatty tarnished tech on the outside, he must be tarnished, his soul, his spirit must be tarnished on the inside as well. And what they believed about the inside of a person was based on what they saw on the outside of a person. And James is so unimpressed with this attitude. Look at what he writes next, verse five. He says, listen, and I kind of think, oh, he's so exasperated. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? James is saying, you guys have such bad thinking. For just because somebody is tarnished on the outside, that doesn't tell us anything about what's going on on the inside. Poor people, they can be rich internally. They can have this deep love for Jesus, be part of that future kingdom that he is promising. And James says just because fantastic faith looks fantastic on the outside doesn't mean that she is fantastic on the inside. For it's the inside that is important. It's the inside that matters. So let me ask you, how are you doing on developing the inside? You know, we're so quick to focus on the outside. I think that's what comes naturally to us, to develop the outside, to pay attention to our appearance, to our education, to our financial security and what that shows others. So quick to pay attention to our social media feeds. We're so naturally drawn to taking care of the outside and not the inside. So how are you doing with the inside? Now there are so many types of ways that we can develop the inside, but I'd like for us to quickly look at three ways to develop our inside. Three tools that we can take with us. The first one is serving. Do we serve? Do we serve others? Because serving others is a great way to develop the inside. Do you know what serving develops? Just showing up week after week, doing the same thing, that develops faithfulness. Faithfulness can be developed just through the practice of being a servant. And serving requires that we all give up something. It could be our time. It could be our emotional energy. Sometimes it does involve giving up finances. And serving develops within us sacrifice, the ability to sacrifice. And that, again, is something on the inside. So are you serving? Whether it be here inside church or outside church, are you serving in a sacrificial way others? And if you're not, you could so easily be developing, um, missing an opportunity to develop the inside. And if I can make a, a shameless plug for the kids' work here, we need people to serve there. 
Also, there's loads of unseen jobs which need people with no skills at all. I put the chairs out this morning. That doesn't take a lot of skill, although they are extra straight, which does take skill. But there are lots of ways of serving that just requires you to turn up and push some trolleys. If you want to get involved in serving and you're not already, go to the app. Go to Sundays and click connect. Another thing that can help you develop the inside is small groups. A small group is just a small gathering of people who get together, have a conversation about the Bible, and talk about how it applies to their life. And there we learn, hopefully, from the collective wisdom and experience of others. But do you know what else being involved in a small group develops? Well, you know, in small groups there are people who are maybe much more talkative than you. Sometimes in a group there are people who are a lot louder than you. Sometimes in a group there are people who don't always turn up on time. And you know what all these things develop? Patience, gentleness, self-control, kindness. And there are loads of types of small groups here. And if you're not in a small group, I believe you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to develop the inside. And just one more way. Spiritual disciplines. Now, big idea. Spiritual disciplines are like the habits that we develop in order to help us craft the inside. And throughout church history, there's been loads of spiritual disciplines. From fasting, to, to worship, to solitude, to journaling. And I just wanted to toss one out and say the spiritual discipline of having a daily quiet time. We've called it chair time as well. It's just when you have a daily habit of spending time with God so you get to know him, that you begin to be transformed inside by him. Maybe you've seen this picture, Michelangelo, John Michelangelo's most famous painting on the ceiling the, of the Sistine Chapel the creation of Adam. And he's portraying God and Adam there. And they've got their hands outstretched towards one another. And when I was looking at this, I, I hadn't really noticed it before, that God is leaning in and, and straining his hand, his arm towards Adam. And his fingertip almost touches Adam's hand, which is more relaxed, not really as intent as God, maybe you can zoom in a little bit there, John, for me. Thank you. Imagine Adam's hand just getting that extra six inches, grabbing firmly hold of God's hand, hanging on tightly. And that image is what captures what is going on in our quiet time. Us being firmly hand in hand with God. I love Jason's image of the petrol. That really spoke to me about, actually, it's like we are in the morning dousing ourselves with petrol so God can touch us and ignite us. Because the quiet time helps us stay connected to God. And you know, when I'm connected to God, I'm far less concerned about other people's opinions about me, about 
my plans. I'm less concerned about my plans, about their expectations on my life. I'm, it's easier for me to stay on God's agenda. Being right with God and tuned into him, walking close with him just simplifies my life. It filters out the noise of what everyone else is expecting. But if you're not in the daily habit of reaching for God's hand and listening to his agenda, well, let me offer you a challenge. Just find a place in your house and just spend five minutes a day connecting with God. Read his word. Open up your life to him. Listen for his whispers. When you're in that chair, you're there in that right relationship with him. Your life will become more simple because everything is simplified because you're thinking about his agenda and not your own. Because that's where the inside work really takes place. And James says, it's really the inside that matters. And we need to be about the business of developing the inside. You know, because the outside is a terrible barometer for judging what's going on on the inside. Just because faith looks fantastic on the outside does not mean she is fantastic on the inside. And just because tech is tarnished and tatty does not mean he is like that on the inside. And you know, I can hear, maybe you can't, I can hear James's congregation saying, come on, James, really? I mean, there's nothing really wrong with showing fantastic faith a little bit of extra love, is there? And James kind of says, well, this is verse eight, it's up on the screen. If you keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. So James is saying, yeah, there's nothing wrong in showing fantastic faith some love. That's awesome, show them some extra love, brilliant. But what about tarnished tech? You see, James uses this interesting term here. He uses the phrase, um, he uses a phrase, I don't know, I think of the royal law, it's there, isn't it? The royal law. He uses this phrase, the royal law, and what he's saying is the chief law, the, the most important law, the law that kind of trumps all the other laws. And he's saying that love your neighbor as yourself is the greatest law, that when you do that, you're doing the right thing. And it is Jesus himself who said that this is the greatest of the law. There was this occasion when Jesus was approached by a Jewish law professor, and the law professor, he's been schooled in the Old Testament law, comes up to Jesus and says, out of all the laws that there are, that we follow as Jews, what one is the greatest? And Jesus says, you need to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, but second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, these are really one and the same. They are the chief law, the royal law. He's saying, you love God by loving your neighbor. And in the Old Testament, we have what are called the first five books of the Old Testament, books of the law. Scholars tell us that there are 613 laws found in there. Laws, for example, like if you live on the upper floor of a house, you have a balcony. You need to have one. Because you need, a, a, and you need to have a railing that goes around the balcony. 
And it's like the early health and safety laws right there. Okay, if you have a balcony, you need to have a railing. That's the law. Or if you have a field and there's an agricultural law that says if you go out and you harvest your, your vineyard and you've done with picking all the grapes off the, the vineyard, uh, don't go back a second time and pick up all the bits that have fallen. You're not allowed to do that. Anything that you've missed are to be left for the poor and those who are traveling. That's to be left. So don't pick your grapes twice. And these laws about the law court. If somebody has an accusation against somebody, that person needs to have two witnesses so that the truth can be figured out. And there's 613 laws covering everything in ancient Jewish life. But these 613 laws can be summarized in 10 laws. In the Ten Commandments. Love God, have no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, no killing, no stealing. So the law about the balcony and the railing, that's really a subset of thou shalt not kill. Because really what thou shalt not kill means is that you need to be protecting other people's lives. The Ten Commandments do not steal. The law about going through your vineyard, they're saying that's really a law about stealing. That this extra belongs to someone else. If you go back a second time, it's like stealing from them. Do not bear false witness is another of the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Saying truth is important. And Jesus says we have all of these laws, but they can all be summarized in this one law. Love God by loving your neighbor. Because if you love your neighbor, you won't steal from them. If you love your neighbor, you won't lie about them. If you love your neighbor, you will protect them. Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with showing a little bit of love to fantastic faith. For in doing so, you're keeping the entire law. I'm wondering if I've lost some of you. I wonder if this image helps. Imagine all of the law like um, a house of cards. The house of cards represents all 613 laws with the Ten Commandments near the top and then the top card is the one law, the chief royal law. And James would say, yep, there's nothing wrong with showing a little bit of love to faith, but there's a problem. For it's a problem when I withhold love from people like tarnished tech. Luke, James says it in verse nine, he says, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. It's not, that, it's not very cheery, is it? I'll say it again. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted, convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So he's saying you can't pick and choose who you're going to show love to. If love is the greatest commandment, you can't show love to some people who are your favorites and not show love to others. James continues, he makes it slightly worse. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point of it is guilty of breaking all of it. So just to visualize, let's go back to the house of cards. If you take one law out and say, I'm not gonna follow that one law, the whole thing comes tumbling down. He's saying, you break one law, then you've broken all the laws. 
break one law, you've broken everything in God's heart. And this is really the downside of playing favorites. Because when we extend love to one person, but we don't extend love to another type of person, it's as if we have broken the entirety of God's law. We've broken the whole intent of God, and that we are now loveless lawbreakers. Wow, that's cheery stuff, isn't it? So the question I had for myself is where do I have a tendency to be a loveless lawbreaker? When is it that I fail to extend love to others? I can picture many occasions at work when there's that person there who's been assassinating my character for years. And I'm having coffee with some colleagues and now I take the opportunity to take some revenge and take a swipe through my words at their character. It exposes me as a loveless lawbreaker. Or maybe it's when that neighbor moves in next door and their relationships or their backgrounds or their music or their noise is just different to ours. And the thoughts that start going through our head and the way we interact with them exposes us as loveless lawbreakers. And this is the downside of showing favorites. Because what it does is actually, Tech, if you come and sit here, Tech. You see, what it does is it exposes us as we're the ones that are down here. That actually, I'm down here. (laughs) We're the ones who have got it wrong and don't deserve to be God's favorite because we've not kept any of the law. What it's revealing is who we are. What it's revealing is that I'm the one that is tarnished and tatty on the inside. That I'm the the sinful one. And what does the sinful one deserve? What does the lawbreaker deserve? Consequences, some punishment, don't they? A loveless lawbreaker should be shown the error of their ways. That's what they deserve. But what does a loveless lawbreaker need? They need mercy. Mercy where someone else takes their place. Where someone else steps in and takes the consequences for their loveless lawbreaking. Somebody else to take the consequences of the fact they've broken God's intent and broken God's law and broken God's heart. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he sent, that's exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to the earth. 
And this brings us to the fourth side of showing favorites, the upside. Because the upside is that God loves to show mercy. God sent his son, Jesus, here so that by us placing our belief and our trust in him, in all that he offers us, this relationship, that all of our loveless lawbreaking can be wiped away. And Jesus himself, when he was on earth, he was talking with people. He was interacting with those whose society didn't like. And look what Jesus says. He says, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. And when we are recipients of God's mercy, it should be so absolutely natural for mercy to flow out of us. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law. That gives freedom. And James is saying, the way you talk, the way you behave ought to reflect that you understand that you are a person who should be under judgment as well. But he continues in the next verse. He says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. I just love how this bit ends. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins. And when we have been shown mercy, when we receive mercy offered by Jesus, it should be so natural for mercy to flow from us. Mercy in, mercy out. So when we feel misunderstood and feel not listened to, and we are ready to say things that yes, might be true, but are definitely not said out of a foundation of love, mercy in, mercy out. When that family member is just being such a muppet, they're not being wise, and they're just going to, you know they're going to come and expect you to bail them out again. Mercy in, mercy out. When your friend who's got their relationship into such a mess, who's ignored your advice at every turn, mercy in, mercy out. When the light turns green and the person in front of you isn't moving and all you see is the glow of their phone, Mercy in, (laughs) mercy out. And we have the four sides of playing favorites. The first is the outside. Such a terrible way of judging what somebody is like. What we ought to look at is the inside, because it's the inside that matters. But how are you getting on? with developing your inside. We have the downside of playing favorites, is that it really shows us who we are. That we are the loveless lawbreakers. 
But thankfully, there is an upside that Jesus has come and has given us mercy. You know, I hope you remember today. I hope you remember the little pot of dal. And if all you remember is the dal, well, I've not really done what I was hoping to do, but the dal, a little pot of dal, my favorite, hopefully will lead you to remember his favorite. Mercy. His favorite is mercy. Let me pray for us, and while we're praying, if the band could come up, the worship team. Thank you, Tech, and Faith as well. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful that we can come here each weekend and through the songs that we sing and the words that we hear from Scripture, we can be reminded of how good you are to us. And God, I, I am so grateful for your mercy. And may we also be so good. May we have mercy flowing out of us. So every interaction we have has that foundation of mercy. And I pray these things in the name of our merciful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.